Matthew, verse by verse, dealing with every text as it comes. And um, so I told somebody, I said, you know, we had a marriage conference yesterday, and this morning I get to preach on adultery and oaths and divorce. And uh, I said, well, talk to him about marriage and, and talk to him about divorce. And uh, I said, we had a lot of visitors last week, and, and uh, I said, I'll run them off this week. So, no, I, I think it's really important. The reason that I believe in verse-by-verse preaching is a couple of reasons. I think it's the best way to learn a, a whole book and get a full picture of what the Bible has to say. But I also think it's so the preacher doesn't avoid the hard stuff. And so I want you to dive into this with me because remember where we are in the text. We're in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has called his disciples to himself and others have come and, and he's continuing to preach. And we're in the middle of what I told you last week was something called the six antitheses. And, and what I meant by that, if you remember, is that these are the, this is the section on the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says things like, you, may, you have heard it said this, and he quotes a principle or a verse from the Old Testament, and then he, he gives us a, a clarifying teaching on that principle or that, that, te- that verse, that doctrine. And so we're, we're in the middle of that section. And Jesus is going to come here. We talked last week where, about where he says, you know, that you shall not murder. But if, you've, you, if you're angry with your brother, you know, you're in danger of the judgment. We talked about an angry heart that was really full of, of murder in, in Jesus' eyes and the way that he explained that to us. And so now we're going to move further in these six antitheses and we're going to see Jesus teach on today on adultery, on divorce, and on oaths and as we look at that i want us to bear in mind while we're going to walk through those principles and talk about them specifically we've got to remember that what jesus is driving at through this entire section is that it all has to be about the transformation of the heart because if the heart isn't transformed through the power of the holy spirit we're never going to live as god has commanded us to live we we don't have the capacity on our own and so Jesus is showing this in place after place. Yeah, you, 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 you may not have been a murderer, but you have been un, in, angry in an ungodly way. And he's going to continue that theme here because yeah, maybe you haven't committed adultery, but you've lusted in your heart. And he's showing us our desperate need for a transformed heart through the power of the Holy Spirit and to walk in, the, in light of, a, of that transformation. And so... Look with me in this text, if you will, in Matthew 5. We're going to begin today in verse 27. There the Bible says this, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, 
for it is God's throne, nor by earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, help us today. Use your word to work in each of our lives. Lord, give me unction, the unction of the Spirit to speak truth, to speak it boldly, and to hold back anything that's my opinion or it's falsehood. Lord, give those that hear the, the grace to hear and to understand and give us all the, uh, the work of the Spirit in our hearts, the grace we need to apply it to our lives and to glorify your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. So we come here and he begins with this discussion of adultery. So you've heard that it said in your hearts, to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman with lust, to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus says, don't commit adultery. That's a pretty clear teaching. It's the seventh commandment. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Well, what is adultery? Pretty plain teaching there too. One spouse engaging in a sexual relationship with someone other than their spouse, and that's the technical definition, but Jesus expands that for us, and we would say that there, are, there, that, that there are times and places where it doesn't have to be explicitly sexual, where you've engaged in adulterous encounters at some level, right? But the, the, the bottom line teaching is it's a, a sexual encounter with someone other than their spouse. And Jesus tells us, you've heard that. We, we know that. Nobody sits here and says that it, it's a good thing to commit adultery. Nobody believes that. If, if you do, we need to have a conversation. But I doubt there's anybody that try to stand up and argue that that's, an, that that's a thing that's right before God. And so you may be sitting there, and maybe you've, been, you've, you've dealt with that in your past, and maybe you've struggled with it. Maybe it's something you've lived through, but maybe not. And I think, again, this is what Jesus is doing. He's taking these teachings that are very plain, they're very straightforward, but the self-righteous religious people of the day, they were saying, well, I, I've never murdered somebody. Maybe I've never, I've never committed adultery. He says, hang on a second. Let me clarify this. Let me, let me show you what's really at stake here. Jesus says it's about the heart of the matter. It's more than just about the specific act. We should obviously condemn adultery. We should obviously condemn any sin, any, any kind of sexual behavior that's outside of the norm of God, which was between one man and one woman who are involved in a marriage relationship. But Jesus says, I want you to make sure that you understand. The specific act is the outworking of a problem of the heart. And if your heart's not right, if your heart's not transformed, you're going to be susceptible to this. And so he says, I'm telling you this, I, I say to you that whoever looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You may not have committed adultery, but you've lusted and so have I. We all have. We've all looked upon someone who, uh, who is not our spouse and we've looked at them in a way and, 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 pro and had thoughts that weren't godly. That's, it, that's the reality of the situation. And again, if you say you've never done that, I'd like to, I'd like to talk to you because I'd, I'd like to know how that's even possible. I don't think that it is, as, at least as an adult, to live a life that is completely divorced from lust. We can walk in that as a regular practice through the power of the Spirit, but it's a, it's a very 
well-known temptation to the majority of us. And Jesus is telling them, you may not have committed the explicit act of adultery, but you have, you have planted the seed of adultery if you've engaged in lustful looking. I used to have a Sunday school teacher, because somebody asked him this. We were a bunch of young couples in that Sunday school class, and somebody asked him about that, and he says, uh, about what does it mean, like when, when are you crossing a line, and all of those things. And here's what he said. He told, he told this young man, he said, you can, you can look at somebody long enough to say, God did a good job on that, and then you better turn the other direction. I said, well, I, I guess that's okay. I guess that's a, that's a decent way to think about it. But he's telling us, just as he talked about anger being the seed that can ultimately blossom into hatred and murder, lust is the seed that can ultimately blossom into all forms of, of adultery and sexual sin. And so he's telling us, we don't just need to look out for adultery. We need to, we need to look out for the, for the seed, which is lust, and we need to kill it as quickly as we recognize that we're engaging in that, that, that seed-planting behavior. We need to recognize it, and we need to come before God and ask Him to, to kill that, that desire in us. And it's not going to be a one-time thing. Just like anger is not a one-time thing, lust isn't going to be a one-time thing, and you're going to have, that's, for many people, it's something you're going to fight your entire life and constantly going before God and asking Him to remove that. Jesus is telling us we've got to walk in a, trans, a transformed heart, and we don't need to let something grow up and blossom out and then just be worried about making sure the fruit doesn't grow. He's saying, kill it at the root. That's how you live a holy life. You kill it as quickly as you recognize that it's becoming part of your life. And Jesus gets into some territory here, and people, people really wonder about this next section of Jesus' teaching. And he, he really tells us about the seriousness of sin. And I'm convinced, I'm convinced that if I, if you, if everybody that calls, call, calls himself a Christian, if they understood the sinfulness of sin, if they understood the seriousness of sin, they would not, they would not walk into sin in the, in the way that they do. I wouldn't walk into sin the way that I do. I would, I would be much more aware and, and much more broken by my own sin. Because sin is, a, is, is a going against the will, the declared will of the God of the universe. It's, it's really, and, and I'm not overstating this, it's spitting in the face of a God who's created you and loved you, and if you're a Christian, has redeemed you. And so Jesus is telling us how serious sin really is. He says in verse 29, If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And so, what is Jesus telling us here? Is he telling us that we got to start cutting, hacking off limbs, plucking out eyeballs? Well, yes and no. This is hyperbole for the most part. But Jesus is giving us a recipe for for dealing with sin what is the recipe for dealing with sin if you've got a temptation if you've got a what the bible calls a besetting sin 
That's a sin that you're really susceptible to. That's a sin that you, you, get, you get distracted by very easily. It's something that you struggle with constantly. What's the remedy for sin? Jesus says it's radical amputation. Radical amputation. What does that look like in your life and in mine? Well, it looks like the, the person that struggles with pornography getting, their, getting a dumb phone instead of a smartphone. Getting a computer out of, a, out of private places where they can engage in that type of behavior. What, is it, what does it look like? I'll tell you what it looks like. If you're going too far in your conversations with a coworker, and you know you are, you need to get a new job. And people say, well, I can't do that. i got to support my family. You're fixing to not have a family to support. Radical amputation. Whatever it takes to, to remove yourself from, from the temptation to, to take it out of your life, you say, well, I can, I can fight it. Yes, you can. But why play with a snake? Y'all have heard the story about a snake, the old story. It's been in movies and TV shows and things, you know. The woman finds a snake in a wood pile, frozen in the wintertime, pulls it inside, warms it up, nurtures it back to health. And a little later on, the snake bites her. And as she lays there dying, she asks the snake, why would you do this? I've cared for you. And the snake said, you knew I was a snake. You know it's a snake. And the longer you play with a snake, the more likely it is that you're going to get bitten. It's radical amputation. There is nothing in your life that is worth you constantly uh, being drawn into sin. Remove yourself if you have to. If you can't if you can't overcome that temptation in that moment, if it's, if it's something that's ongoing and constant and you're potentially going to dishonor God, dishonor the name of Christ, hurt your family, hurt yourself, do whatever you got to do. Do whatever you got to do. There is nothing, nothing in your life that is worth sinning against God. Nothing. There's no point of pride. There's no job. There's no situation. Nothing. And you say, well, that's pretty radical. Yes, it is. Jesus says, pluck your eyeballs out. That sounds pretty radical to me, and I think he's using hyperbole, but, I'm, but, if, but he, if it came down to it, if you're going to be a thief, cut your hand off. Jesus wants us to make sure to understand, just like I said before, don't even engage in the seed planting behavior. Don't even take yourself there. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can, we can overcome sin. Because, look, I've been just like everybody else. I've been the person that says, well, I can't really help it. I've kind of given in to certain areas of sin in my life at times. I've struggled against it at times, and other times I've just been like, well, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know that I can really handle that one. Is that? It's unbelievable to think that I would do that. To think that somebody who's been saved by the grace of God, somebody who... Through, through the repentance and faith, has the Holy Spirit of God living within them would say, well, that's just a sin that I'm going to put, have to put up with. No. Jesus wants us to be radical about keeping sin from our life, dishonoring His name, dishonoring ourselves and others. And so Jesus tells us, cut it away, pluck it away, do what you got to do, separate yourself from it. And Jesus goes on, to discuss divorce. And this, this section speaks of divorce. It's not the totality of what the Bible has to teach about divorce. 
But here's what he says. Furthermore, it's been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. And look, I know in a room this size, there's lots of folks that have walked through divorce. Your family's had divorce in their background. But basically, Jesus is referencing the book of Deuteronomy here. And understand what the context of Jesus' statement was. In the, fir- in the first century, when Jesus was walking this earth, there were kind of two camps about this issue. There were two camps that kind of followed after the teaching of these two rabbis. One was the Rabbi Shammai, and I'm probably mis- mispronouncing that. And the other was the Rabbi Hillel. And they debated this. The Rabbi Hillel basically said, you could divorce for any good cause, and this is not a joke, this is in the literature, burning your food was good enough cause to divorce. That's what Rabbi Hillel said. Rabbi Shammai, he limited it to adultery, sexual immorality, okay? And so he, the Judaism really in some sense required divorce in cases of adultery. But Christianity never requires it. All right? Forgiveness, repentance and forgiveness is possible. I've walked with lots of couples who had dealt with adultery in their past, and they were able to walk through it. But Jesus is telling us here, there is such a thing as a biblical divorce. And I know there's certain groups out there that would deny that. I don't uh, advocate for it, and I think that there is nothing that through the power of the Holy Spirit and, and repentance and forgiveness and reconciliation that God can't heal in a marriage. But Christianity never requires divorce. But Jesus is saying, again, what is it? It's about the heart. Most divorce is wrapped up in selfishness. I'm not saying all. But most divorce is wrapped up in selfishness on the part of one party or the other, if not both. And so Jesus is telling us, if you've got this this heart that is selfish and and you just want to divorce for any old reason, any old reason, I can divorce for just whatever reason I want to. We talked about this in the marriage conference last night. You have got a wrong view of marriage. Because marriage is a covenant before God. It's not a contract to be broken by man. And so is there a a way in which divorce can happen for a biblical reason? Yes, but it is the exception and not the rule. But what Jesus says here is what causes a lot of people to get uncomfortable when he says that whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery and whoever marries a woman who's divorced commits adultery. So I get questions about this all the time. And people say, well, well, what do I do? Does that mean if I've divorced and, and, and I ha- don't have grounds for a biblical divorce? And again, this isn't the fullness of what the Bible teaches about all of that. But does that mean that I need to divorce the person I'm married to now and go back and try to reconcile? No. No. Because the book of Deuteronomy actually talks about that, that we shouldn't, that a man was not allowed to divorce his wife, just hand her a certificate of divorce, go out here and try to, try to find somebody else and then decide, I don't really like this person, and go back, right, to have these trial marriages. So even if a divorce happened for unbiblical reasons, it's still a divorce, all right? And so here's what one commentator said this. I think he explained it very well. So I want to read what he said. He says this. He says, there's, he says that uh, there's, there's no indication here that a second marriage even following an illegitimate divorce, is seen as permanently adulterous. 
Divorced Christians who have remarried should not commit the sin of a second divorce to try to resume relations with a previous spouse. Again, that reference is Deuteronomy 24. But should begin afresh to observe God's standards by remaining faithful to their current partners. And so the, the Bible is teaching us here, yes, divorce, God hates divorce. The book of Malachi is clear on that. Jesus is teaching all throughout the New Testament. We understand divorce is not something that, that God is, is in favor of. It's not something that he likes, he, that, he, that he wants. But if we have committed divorce under circumstances that are unbiblical, we don't need to go back. We need to commit ourselves in order to, to go forward. Now, if both of you are, if you've divorced and both of you are still unmarried and reconciliation is possible, praise God and hallelujah. I've, I've done that. I've helped people reconcile that have been divorced. They've married, them, married each other again and stayed married for a long, long time. But Jesus is, is really using the picture of divorce to paint this picture of a selfish heart that just wants what it wants when it wants. That's what he's been doing throughout. And again, the vast majority of divorce cases I've dealt with in counseling, dealt with in the life of a church, it comes down to one person saying, I want this, I'm not getting it. It doesn't matter what the Bible says, it doesn't matter what God says. It, I want this and I'm not getting it and I'm going to go this direction. And so Jesus wants us to understand that, that it is not about us. It's about, it's about living in light of a transformed heart. Are there reasons to, to divorce biblically? Yes, but none of that's an absolute either. Repentance and reconciliation is still possible. So Jesus shows us the problem of the heart using divorce as the picture of that. Because much like today, back then, that, they, were, they were divorcing for selfish reasons. So Jesus comes on and goes on and begins to discuss oaths. And as he discuss oaths, it's very, it's very interesting how he handles this section. Because there was very clear teaching in the Old Testament about making an oath and keeping it. Here's what he says. Again, you've heard it said, and this is, this is referencing the Old Testament, to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. So Jesus discussed oaths. The Old Testament says, keep your oaths. Whatever you've said before the Lord, you're supposed to do. Now, if you were here last Sunday night, you heard our discussion of Jephthah's vow. In the Old Testament, Jephthah made a vow that was a foolish vow, and ultimately, he kept the foolish vow he made by sacrificing his daughter. He killed her, and he offered her as a burnt offering. So we have to pause here and say that, that even in the Old Testament, God did not expect us to keep a vow that was a sinful vow. Okay, that, that's, that's not what God expects. But in a general sense, the teaching of the Old Testament was, if you made a vow before God, you were to keep it. But Jesus says it would be much better for us to just do what we say we're going to do. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. Don't swear by Jerusalem. Don't swear by this. Don't swear by that. Don't swear by your own head. Right? What did we say when we were kids? We used to do all kinds of things. 
cross my heart and hope to die, right? Or, you know, the one that I always never understood, I swear on my mama's grave. Well, my mama's not dead yet. I'm not going to do that, right? We, we'll, we'll swear by things because somehow we think that that, uh, that that increases the likelihood that we're going to carry out what we're going to say. And Lord of mercy, if you ever pulled out the pinky promise, it was a done deal, wasn't it? If you pinky promised it was a done deal. Now, years ago, before everybody got spooky about blood, people would, would make like, you know, they'd prick their fingers and put them together, become blood brothers and make this oath. I, I don't recommend that either. But you swear by other things because you think it brings gravitas to what you're saying. Well, if I just say I'm going to do this, they may not believe me. But if I, if I swear on the life of my children, then they're, they're somehow that means that I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do. No, Jesus says very simply, let your yes be yes, let your no be no. The, the Jews would swear by the things mentioned. And Jesus says, say what you mean and mean what you say. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Say what you mean and mean what you say. That sounds like practical kind of front porch kind of wisdom, but that's what Jesus is telling us. Be a person of your word. Now, if your word, if you've, if you've made a promise to do something wrong and something sinful, don't do that. You can repent for that and tell the person, I shouldn't have made that promise because I'm not going to keep that because that would make me sin against God. But Jesus says, we, we need to be about doing what we say we're going to do. You see, here's the reality of it. Sometimes I think in Christianity, here's the idea we get. It's, it's a, just a big list of don't. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. And what I try to, I try to help folks understand, try to help myself understand at times, it's not just that I shouldn't do the bad thing. That's, ha that's halfway, right? We, if we move out of sinful territory and we just don't do what's bad, we get into this neutral ground. But that's not where God wants us to live. God wants us to live in the, in the land of positive obedience, right? So what's the answer to lies? It's not just don't lie. It's tell the truth. What's the answer to unbiblical divorce? It's to live faithfully with your spouse. Here, the, the answer to adultery is faithfulness. The answer to an angry heart is a heart that is full of kindness and love and forgiveness. The answer is really repentance. When we repent, that snake I talked about earlier, that snake of sin that you play with, when you repent, you cut off the head of the snake. When you come before God and man and you own what's yours to own and you say, I have sinned in this way, God, please forgive me. Right? I've, uh, God, I've sinned before you and you go to the other person and you say, I've sinned before you, would you please forgive me? Guess what? You cut the head off the snake. It can't bite you anymore. Now, there may be somebody else. I'll tell you all this story. Y'all like this. We got time, don't we? When I was a little kid, I had, a, I had my best buddy down the road. His name was Michael. And he, he just lived a little ways from me. And he went to church with us one Sunday morning. We came back. He probably stayed the night at my house. And there was about a six-foot-long black snake up in the carport at my house. And so we did what boys do. We hated snakes, but we summoned up our courage. And we took a push broom, and we pushed that snake out. And we beat it to death with baseball bats. All right, and that snake was dead. But guess what? His daddy didn't know it was dead. 
So we took that snake and we went down and we laid it out right on his front porch and we rang the doorbell and run the hit around the corner. And when he came out, he jumped and hollered and probably said things he ought not said. But guess what? He wasn't in any danger, was he? That snake was dead. It wasn't going to bite him. It wasn't going to hurt him. It's going to make us laugh watching him jump around. But he wasn't in any danger. And just like that, that's kind of a silly example, but just like that, when you repent, you kill sin in your own life. Somebody else may take that dead snake and try to hold it up and say, oh, yeah, remember this? What about this? Don't you know you did this? And you can stand before them and say, you know what? I did do that, but I've repented before God and man. And the Bible says that if I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive me my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And you can tell them, that sin no longer has a hold on me because I've been forgiven by God. I've been cleansed by the blood through repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the real answer is repentance. But here's the thing. Even when a snake is dead, do you know this? If a poisonous snake's dead, if you grab it and you stick the fangs in your own hand, guess what? You can still get a little venom in you if it's poisonous. So while it's not going to jump out and bite you, if you keep going back and playing with your sin, I'm not talking about somebody else trying to condemn you for it. If you keep going back to the well, you keep going back trying to play with that old sin, you be careful. You can still get yourself in trouble. You're not going to sin away your day of grace. If you're truly in Christ, if you've repented of your sins and you've believed in the life and the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're truly saved, you're not going to sin away your day of grace, but you can get yourself in all kinds of trouble. And so be careful. Even, even when the snake's dead, don't let anybody hold your sin against you because you're forgiven before God and man. But don't you go playing with it. Don't you go trying to revive that dead man. Paul says that, that, that all the, the old man is dead. Don't go trying to revive the dead man and carry him around with you. No. Your nature has changed. Friend, I'm going to tell you something here this morning. If you've got adultery in your past, but you're a, a Christian who's under the blood of Jesus Christ, you are no longer an adulterer. You are a saint in the family of God. You're a believer. You're a child of God. You don't have to be identified by your sin when you've been forgiven. If you're somebody who's a habitual liar before you came to know Christ, you are no longer a liar. You're a child of God who's redeemed. Now, can Christians lie? Sure they can. Can Christians commit sexual sin? Sure they can. But that is not their identity. And they must repent or they will have consequences to deal with. But they are not identified by their sin. I'm about sick of this movement in modern Christianity that wants to identify everybody by their old sin. Right? I'm a, well, I'm a gay Christian. No, you're not. You're a Christian. I don't walk around saying I'm a lying Christian. I don't walk around saying, I don't walk around saying I'm a drunk Christian because I used to be drunk. I don't do that. No, friends. Our nature has been changed. And because our nature is changed, we can attack this kind of, this kind of attitude, this kind of behavior, this kind of sinful temptation in our lives. We can attack it at the root. Not because we are strong, but because He is strong. Not because we have lived a perfect life, but because Jesus has lived a perfect life. Not because our blood has been shed, but because His blood has been shed. And because all of that is true, we should have the desire in us put there by the Spirit of God to live to His glory and His honor. 
And so we raise up the name of Jesus and we kill sin when it comes. And when we fall into sin, we repent and we let the old man stay dead. Repentance and faith, walking with Jesus. Ray Comfort is really well known as as an evangelist. And here's the thing. Before you know Christ, one of the things he does, he'll, he'll, he'll go up to somebody and he'll say, hey, have you, have you ever told a lie? Well, yeah. Have you, have you ever lusted after somebody? Yeah. Well, are you a Christian? No. Well, if, the, if, you're, if you're somebody who tells lies and you're somebody who's lusted after somebody and Jesus says that that's as good as adultery, what does that make you? Well, it makes me a liar and adulterer, I guess. And that's true. We're guilty of sin. But when we come to Christ, we, we need to be able to recognize that the power of the sacrifice of Jesus is big enough for every sin. I don't care how big it is. There are murderers on death row that have come to know Jesus Christ legitimately. I'm not talking about jailhouse religion. I'm talking about real religion that comes through Jesus Christ alone. And I'm going to tell you something. There's a lot of those kind of men that are going to walk into glory praising God when self-righteous folk that never truly knew Christ won't. It's not about who we are. It's not about what we've done. It's about who He is and what He's done. And I beg of you today, don't be drugged down by your old sin, Christian, if you're a Christian. Walk in the fruit and the reality of repentance and forgiveness. But if you don't know Christ, if you don't know Jesus, if you've never recognized the sin in your own life and your need for a Savior, I beg of you, Look to Jesus today. Repent of your sins. Turn away from them. Believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, His life and death and resurrection. Leave that old man behind. Walk in newness of life with Jesus. And you too can walk in this kind of life that honors God. Killing sin as it comes into your life. Repenting when you fall short. And living life to the honor and the glory of the name of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I praise you. I honor your name, and I ask that you would just work in each of us. You give us the strength to live as you've called us to live. Lord, we know we can't do it alone, and I pray that you'd empower each of us. And Lord, for those that may not know you, I pray that through this word, Lord, that you draw them to yourself. Maybe they've recognized the, the sinfulness in their own life and their need to be saved from that sin from you. God, today, whatever it means, Lord, I pray that you glorify yourself in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. We're going to stand as we... uh